go ahead and turn to Acts 16. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Just a front-load kind of the, the, the application that I kind of pulled from this today. I want to ask you guys a question. So how many of you guys have found that when things are kind of not going the way you'd like in your life, maybe they're hard, maybe you just don't understand why something's happening, that it can be difficult to, in a sense, see the Lord or try to figure out what he's doing or, or, or like, in a sense, like hear from him, be led by him. There could be a whole bunch of things, but it's just difficult to keep your focus on him. Got to be almost intentional about that. Have you guys experienced that? Thank you, Rich. I mean, I, I would assume I'm not the only weirdo here, like, uh, hopefully. But, like, when, when things are hard, let me give you an example of something. Um, and you guys that have been here, this is your home church, you've heard me use this application multiple times, but it kind of fits well with this. So, like, um, you know, about five years ago when we were kind of, when it became clear we were supposed to, I was supposed to transition out of working as an engineer for ODOT and take over as lead pastor here. Um, we were living in a rental at the time. We'd sold our house in Astoria a couple of years prior. And Lord had made it clear we were supposed to settle roots here. And so we were kind of looking for a house to buy. And any, any of you that have done that at ever, any point in this, this place, uh, that can be a nightmare, even more so. It seems as time goes on, but... It was it was it was very frustrating because we we had actually, you know, we had a rental down in Central Point that we sold and we sold our house in Astoria, so we had some equity to work with and and felt like you know we were in a good spot to get a home. But for whatever reason, it was like nothing was working out. Either what what wasn't what we were looking for, or it was too expensive, or didn't accept their offers. Nothing was working out, and so we ultimately went the route of, of purchasing a lot that we felt like it was a really good deal and trying to build. And then after several months of planning that, the the whole deal with the first builder fell through. And then we found another builder and, and it was just going really slow and prices were escalating and, and it was just really frustrating. And and there was just like wondering, this wondering of like, what the what the heck is the Lord doing? Like, why is this not working out? We're Kind of, we we feel confident we're doing what you want us to do. We we're sticking around in 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 your will. So why isn't any of this stuff like working out for us? And in the middle of all that, a couple months after kind of transitioning into lead pastor, uh, I got this note after this sermon on my desk. It came in like a Tuesday, and there was a note on my desk that said. You know, this person that I didn't recognize their name wanted to talk to me about the message. And I automatically assumed that was bad news. Um, but, and uh, I called the person and, and it actually was quite something I did not expect. Like it was basically the person said that um, they felt like the Lord told them that they were supposed to sell their house to us. And that they lived in Astoria. They were kind of transitioning out of the area. And that they wanted us to come see it. They thought it would work for us. And that they would work with us whatever needed to be done in order to make it work for us. And so um, something you don't hear very often, right? And, and here's the kicker is that I sent this to my wife. I text this to her. And she calls me. And she's like, if you only knew what I just prayed with the boys. Like she was at this point of frustration. And she was driving 
and with the boys in the story of her something and and we were living out in Napa at the time and she was uh she's like just was praying out loud like lord just show us what to do and do it in such a way that the boys can see how real you are uh regarding the, the house thing and then i text her like immediately after that and so but here's the thing here's the thing i want you to get we drove by the house wasn't exactly what we were kind of planning to build like in our minds it was too big for us probably couldn't afford it and 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 just we were so focused on what 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 we wanted what wasn't working out that we completely missed this thing that god had answered and led us in right in front of our eyes now in god's grace he didn't let us make that mistake in that like it took us like i think it was about two months later to come to our senses as we were sitting there eating dinner one night and we're talking about like, why is nothing working out? You know, why is we just keep trying to push open this door and it's not going. And we're, she brings this up, you know, like maybe we should look at this again. And I'm, I'm, as she's saying this, it was like, it was literally like somebody slapped me upside the face. Cause I'm just like, this is the Lord. We prayed for this. This is what he wants. It's like, I knew it is sure is day that that's what he wanted and we went from there we went and looked at the house and by the end of the weekend we had a signed deal and that thing closed in like less than 30 i mean it was just from that once we started going through where he wanted to everything worked out and and and, and that house was perfect for us in ways that we couldn't even have imagined because we needed the extra space because we didn't know we were going to do foster care we didn't know we were going to have another son we didn't know that we were going to have family living with us I mean, just in all these ways, God's like, I got something better in mind. Just trust me. But because we were in this place of like, you know, basically things not going the way we wanted, things appearing to be difficult and and kind of focusing on those things that we didn't like, that we didn't understand. It was very difficult to see what God was leading us in. And the reason I'm kind of just explaining this so much is because we see in this example, we see in today's text a great example of another way, as we've seen in the last couple of chapters, of ways God leads us in a specific way that he leads us during the difficult things we face in life that is critical for us being able to be guided into his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we want to pay attention to today's text for that because we all go through difficult things and we can all miss what the Lord's doing if our focus is not in the right place. Amen? All right. So just the, where we left off last week was God directing Paul and his team to Macedonia on the untouched continent of Europe. So best of our knowledge, the people here had not been exposed to the gospel, okay? So let me pray one more time. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, oh, your word is so good, Lord. I just, even this specific application that I'm focusing on today is just something that you've been ministering to me this morning, Lord. And just kind of being in a place of discouragement and and just being reminded to just cast my eyes on you, be focused on your goodness, and and you'll do the rest. We'll be able to see the things you're doing. And so, Lord, as we go through your word, lots lots of nuggets of truth, but we know that each one of us is 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 dealing with specific things that we need to hear from you on, and that's what we pray, Lord. I'm thankful that I can just sit here and, and, and speak forth your word, expound on it. But the Holy Spirit is here to speak to each one of my brothers and sisters personally 
And that's what we ask you to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 11 says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace in the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. Now, note that in verse 11, it says that they made a direct voyage, as, verse, uh, as it says, which basically means that the wind would have had to been at their back because in, if you're traveling anywhere by boats back then, they were completely dependent on wind. And I only point that out because remember, this is where the Lord told them to go. And often when the Lord tells us to go somewhere, you don't get like impedance. Just as I was explaining where nothing was working out for, you know, over a year when we were trying to build a house. And then all of a sudden we go in that direction the Lord wants us to go in. And all of a sudden there's just no hindrance. It's like the door is open and the Lord brings you through it. And so we see the Lord after these closed doors they faced, when they go through that open door, that direction, there's nothing they have to do to force this to happen. All right. And then Philippi, this place they end up should sound somewhat familiar to you guys because which letter that Paul writes later on is addressed to them? Philippians, Philippians right? Good job. I saw your hand go up, Faith. I knew you were going to answer that. But the, the, as we're going through Acts, this is a good reason to pay attention to Acts because basically all these epistles we see come after this, these churches are planted during this book. And then the he, those are all follow-up letters to these churches. And so... This is his first trip to Philippi, and the Christians that come as a result of it are who the the church in uh, Philippians, or the, the book of Philippians is written to, okay? And this is also a large city, according to verse 12, which is something you see Paul do. He kind of hits the bigger cities, probably thinking or understanding that, hey, these bigger cities, if we get a bunch of people saved here, they'll, that naturally will start to go out to the smaller cities around him, all right? So you see this kind of pattern where he goes to these bigger cities in these areas, and it says in uh, the remainder of verse 12, we remained in the city some days. So they're there for a while. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed, or they'd, they'd come to find out there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, it, it would appear here that Paul was, as he's in the city, he's scouting out a place where the Jewish people would be. Now, if you guys are familiar with Paul's kind of MO, something that he did regularly, regularly, he'd always try to find the synagogue. He'd try to find the Jewish people because in his mind, they understood the Old Testament. They knew the word of God. These people of all people in his mind should have known who Jesus was. So he always kind of started with them before he went to the Gentiles, right? So here he goes outside of the city because basically the there must not have been a synagogue here. For the Jewish people to come together on the Sabbath to pray outside the city, there must not have been a synagogue in Philippi at this point. So he goes to this place he hears about. He finds only women there seeking God. That's probably another reason why there wasn't a Jewish synagogue, because you had to have a certain amount of men um, in order to do it. And so there probably wasn't enough men to have an official synagogue. But nevertheless, Paul's focus isn't on who's not there but who is there? And he goes on to share the good news with these women as we're going to see in the following verses. And if you remember, I just want to kind of point this out. Paul's original vision back in verse 9 was of a man appearing to him and asking for him to come over to Macedonia for help. So this probably surprised him a little bit to get to this place. And he's ministering 
to women. And the only reason I point that out is because so many times in my life, and I, I bet you guys would agree with this, that when the Lord gives me vision or he gives me direction or I think he's leading me into something, it so often ends up way different than I imagined at first. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, when I originally moved up to Astoria, when I transferred with ODOT back in 2007, it was in my mind at that point, this is just a stepping stone. I'm just going to come up here for a couple of years, and then we'll move to somewhere where the sun actually shines a lot more, all right? Now, I was way off, okay, <laughs> obviously. But having said that, that's just how it works. God, like we saw last week, he has bigger and better things in mind. And you get to this point in your life where you follow him long enough and you're like, I just, I give up. I'm not even going to try to figure it out anymore. I just want to know what you want me to do. And I will go and do it unanswered because I know I can trust you. It's going to be good. I, I, I might not see that now. I don't understand it, but eventually it will. And I'm wrong so often that it's just way, it's a waste of my time to try to figure it out ahead of time. Amen. I think that's a good place to be because that just allows you to be trusting and and faithful and not worried and stuff. And so the Lord has to teach us to get to that place. And it says in verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. So one of these women there, her name's Lydia. That's a Greek or Gentile name. And she's from the city of Thyatira. Now, here's something interesting. That city was in Asia which is where Paul originally wanted to go, right? Remember, he tried to go to Asia, Asia Minor, kind of the area of Turkey. That's where he was trying to go. And the Holy Spirit kept shutting the door and led him to the continent of Europe. But here's a divine appointment. The Lord's like, it's all right. I have it figured out. So he brings this woman from Asia to Paul here, all right? And it says she's a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of, of God. Remember, a worshiper of God, the idea is that it was a Gentile or a non-Jewish person that believed in God, believed in the Jewish God and would worship that God. Now, something to note, the dyes used for making purple products at this time, they were expensive or they were known to be expensive. They were highly regarded, something that was sought after. Thyatira also being known as kind of a sales hub for faith. Do you have a question? That is true. I can attest to that, all right? I, I saw that in my studies. Thank you for showing, sharing that. And that might have been why it was so expensive. I don't, I don't know. Do you know where they got the snail from? Was it from far away or something? It is pretty interesting. <laughs> Snails have a purpose for purple dye. And, but all that to say is that my point is like where she was from, it was known for selling these products. And she, as such, would have been a seller of something that was costly. So she probably was somebody that was well off or basically taken care of by her business. And I point that out because obviously, despite what the world would teach us, that, hey, if you just have money, then you can get everything you want. That's not true. Have we experienced that in our lives personally? You know, we think we just get this thing and we'll be good. Obviously, that wasn't true with her because here she is praying to God. Here she is seeking God. Here she is listening to what Paul and, and Silas and, and Luke have to say uh, this good news of Jesus Christ that he's preaching. She's searching for something more, okay? And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And I want you to note that, all right? This is a work of the Lord that is, as it says here, drawing her attention to listen and hear the good news about Jesus. Paul had to share. There's a work the Lord has to do in every single person. 
so that we pay attention, so that we hear, so that we understand the gospel, our need for Jesus to save, save us from our sin. Jesus tells us something to that fact in John six forty four, where he says, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. All right. And there's been lots of discussions throughout history and debate what exactly that looks like, what draws, what, what him drawing us means. And I'm not going to, I don't know. I don't know everything about it, but a good rule of thumb in interpreting God's word is to let it define itself. Would you guys agree with me on that? And here in Acts 16, 14, you see at least in part what that drawing is, because what it says is that this unbeliever needed God's help to pay attention to the gospel that was being shared with her. So she had the opportunity to believe in Jesus. And I can relate to this. Maybe you guys can relate to this in your lives too. Because surely before I believed in Jesus, I had heard the gospel before. I had heard the good news. I didn't listen to it. I didn't pay attention to it. But I'd heard it. But I can tell you, when I, that night, when I, when I, I asked my, my wife's um, dad for permission to marry her. You guys have heard my testimony before, so I will spare you the details. If you haven't, you can come up and talk to me. I'll, I'll share it with you in full. But I was living in sin with my wife. I was not saved at the time. She had grown up in a Christian home, kind of rebelled. And so I knew her parents were not okay with that. But I thought I'd do the, the manly thing and ask for his permission. And he very graciously explained to me he couldn't give me his blessing. And what was the matter with our lives that we needed the Lord. And I paid attention. All right. At that night, I heard it and I understood what he was saying. And I came away with knowing that I am a sinner and I'm in trouble as such, that I, I need someone to save me. And I, the first person I thought to talk to was this college pastor. I'd been going to this ministry once a week where you play basketball with some Christian guys and there would be a Devo. But I'm like, I need to talk to this guy because he's talking about that Jesus and he came to save me. I need to know how to, how to, you know, what, how to be saved. But something about that night, the Lord helped me pay attention and understand. I kind of compare it to like my two-year-old son. He, he's going through those terrible two years, right? So he's learning to obey. And there's a lot of times where I'll tell him to do something and he just doesn't pay attention. He might hear it, but he's not paying attention because he just keeps doing what he wants. But guess what? When dad picks up the spanking spoon and says it, he straightens up and he pays right attention. He listens, all right? He understands that there's consequences if I don't listen to this. I need to pay attention to what dad is saying. And it's the same way. Like the Lord just has a way of, as here with Lydia, he helps us pay attention to understand this is serious matter. I mean, this is separation from God for eternity and my sin or being saved and knowing the one that created me and, and, and being able to be led into his goodness, his good plan for my life. I mean, this is serious. I need to pay attention to this. Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So people that 
Jesus talks about those that reject him and love the darkness. They, in a sense, allow Satan to blind them from the truth. And as such, the most important thing we can do in evangelizing to people is before you even say anything, is that you pray that God would help them pay attention. That he would help them understand that he would remove any blindness from their eyes. We talk a lot about it, but how to evangelize. We focus on the, you know, the, the points in, in like, just as what you need to do to witness to somebody and stuff. And this gets thrown by the wayside sometimes. And this is the most important thing. Pray that the Lord would help them pay attention and understand. Just like we see here with Lydia. And just on that note, understanding that it's the enemy that blinds people, I just I want to remind us of something because there's a lot of articles, a lot of things going around, especially over the last couple of years, about you know the the hard things we're facing in this life, that some of the things we see in the governments of the world, and kind of like you know who's behind it, that there's this new world order being established, and there's this evil group of people doing it, all right. And I'm going to be honest, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time reading and listening to stuff having to do with that. Not because it's not interesting, not because it's not even intriguing. You know, we, some of it makes a lot of sense. But having said that, it's very hard, dare I say even impossible, to substantiate any of it. Because I'm not in this inner circle of people or whatever. I can't verify it. And I'm not one that believes everything I read on the internet or hear in the news. So, But having said that, if I have a choice, I have limited time in my day. And if I have a choice to read stuff that could be or could not be true versus stuff that I know is absolutely truth, this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time. Because this will help me see what is false and dark in the world and expose it for what it is. So this is where... I want to spend the rest, the majority of my time. But here's what I want us to remember, remember and not lose sight of. If there is evil going on in this world, there's people with these evil plans to, to take it over and, and, and all that stuff. I'm going to tell you right now that there's only one being that's behind any of that. Lest us not forget, and it's Satan. Okay? And any people carrying out his plan... That's only because they've been fooled by his deceptions. They're merely pawns in his big game. And they're merely doing or carrying out the plan that God has already told us in his word is going to happen. Right? That's why it's important to understand that. So we're not surprised. We see happening exactly what is supposed to be happening. And guess what? Satan's got access to God's word too. He knows what needs to happen. And so he will do whatever he can in deceiving people to make that happen, all right? And spoiler alert, which he knows too, is that he loses at the end. And that's why it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He knows his time's short, and he's very angry. And he's going to take as many people as he can with him. So the best thing you can do for any evil, any politician you don't like, any, 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 anything you think is some evil plan or you just see something you see is wrong. The best thing you can do is pray for that person 
And for them to pay attention and understand their eyes to be open to see their need for Jesus to save them. Amen? That's the first and foremost thing you want to do. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, he reminds us, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We've got to remind ourselves. The reason that our battle is never against flesh and blood. It's not against people. If we're fighting against people, we've been tricked by the enemy to fight the wrong battle. All right? And that applies to all areas of our life. Not just with the government or, you know, with your boss that you don't like. With your spouse. If you're, I mean, how many so often you get in a discussion, maybe even elevated to an argument, and you hear something coming out of your spouse's mouth that sounds like it's from Satan. You know, something that I encourage couples to do, because I've had to learn this in my own relationship. Practice makes perfect, but it's like you have your spouse repeat to you what you just said. Because so often in the heat of the moment when I'm doing this, I'll say, this is what you just said. And my, my wife's like, I did not say that. That's not what I said. It's like there's this Satan filter and he wants to just create this division in every relationship you have and have you turn against each other. Because he knows that you will be weak divided. He works through that to destroy people. All right. So that's why we're like, no, no, no. My battle is not against a person. It's against him. I just need to stand firm in God, in his word, and not listen to his lies. And if there's people that, you know, basically I I think are acting evil, I'm going to pray for them. That the Lord would open their eyes. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 15. So this Lydia, after she believes she's baptized... All right. And her household as well. So basically she gets saved and she gets baptized right away. Another good example how the only pre-existing condition to get baptized is faith in Jesus. And just a, you know, kind of just a encouragement. Easter, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, get baptized. You should get baptized and be obedient to the Lord. And you see her newfound faith. It affects her family immediately because they believe in Jesus as well. Her whole household saved. And it says she urged us, this would be Paul and his crew, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful by the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia, being a successful businesswoman, she sells Paul and his companions on the idea of coming to stay with them. And they buy into it, okay? And remember, I'm on this roll with puns. I think I am. So I'm going to keep it um, every week. And... But remember, here's the thing I want to point out too. Thyatira, where Lydia was from, was back in Asia, right? Where Paul originally wanted to go earlier in the chapter before the Holy Spirit shut the door. But in his timing, God had a better plan. As he worked through Paul to save this woman and her family who just so happened to be in Philippi at the same time as him, who eventually would go back to Thyatira in Asia, which should sound familiar if you followed us through our book of Revelation study over the last two years, because Jesus writes letters addressed to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and the church at Thyatira is one of them. 
right? So very, these very well, Lydia and her family could have been the very first Christians in that city of what eventually turned into a church that Jesus personally wrote to. Amen? So Paul's desire, again, to go to Asia and preach the gospel, that was good. It was right. But the Lord had a bigger plan. He's like, here's the thing. I'll bring you to Europe. We'll get a church started in Philippi. I'll bring someone to Asia for you. They'll go back and get a church planted. I'll get twice as much work done in half the amount of time, like easy time. And that's another reason why we want to be in the Lord's will, even if it doesn't make sense to us, because that's the kind of stuff God does all the time. He's like, I I appreciate your heart. That's a good thing you want to do. I got a way better way to do it. Just trust me. Amen. And that's what he does with him. And it says in verse 16, and as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So while Paul and his team, they're on their way to one of these prayer meetings, they encounter this girl who's possessed by a demon. Now, anytime it says spirit, we know from God's word as a whole that to when somebody dies, their soul either goes to be with the Lord in heaven or basically separated from the Lord in hell. So anytime you see like spirits talked of, basically it's it's Satan or his demons, best we can tell, all right? There's no like such thing as like a good spirit, all right? Because you hear that sometimes. That's just not biblical. That's not what we see in scripture, all right? So he she's possessed by a demon that apparently gives her supernatural insight into the lives of other people. People, this girl being owned as a slave so that her owners could basically charge people for her to tell their fortunes. Now, best we know, and this is important, Satan is not able to tell the future. Okay? Best we know he's not omniscient like God. He doesn't know all things. But he does have insight into your life. Like we read in Peter, him and his demons are constantly watching. They're looking for ways to deceive and tempt you so that they can lead you into destruction. Jesus calls him in, in John eight forty four, referring to Satan, the father of lies. Okay? And often what's found with these so-called psychics or fortune tellers, at least the ones that aren't just straight up con artists, is that they aren't necessarily able to predict your future, at least accurately. But more so, they play off people's emotions because of insights they have about them personally. Basically telling you things that they couldn't know unless they were your friend or they they known you for years or whatnot. Which I'm convinced is because it's demons or demonic activity that's basically tipping them off about people. So that they can say things to, in a sense you know, attract your attention and you listen to what they're telling you you should do in the future or what's going to happen to you in the future. But here's the thing. Knowing that where that's coming from, from Satan and knowing that according to John 10, 10, Satan's only desire for you is to kill you and destroy you and steal from you should make you not want to go anywhere near any of that fortune telling stuff. And that's exactly why the Bible warns you about it. Amen. 
And even though their advice may sound appealing, it may even sound good at face value. Let me remind you that 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that Satan does, disguises himself as an angel of light. He's going to tell you everything you want to hear. He's not going to tell you, yeah, I'm going to kill you and destroy you. You wouldn't listen then. He's got to be deceptive about it. And let's not forget that what he told Eve let her feeling also like, oh, this is good. I should listen to this guy in the garden. And that surely was not good for her and her husband. And that's why we don't want to listen to anything that the Satan has to say either. There's one voice we listen to that we're looking to hear, and that's the Lord's. Amen? And we got to we got to just I mean, hopefully that's a word. If, if, if this isn't to condemn anyone that's involved in that stuff, it's basically an encouragement to you to get away from it because that's who's behind it. And you don't want to be led astray. Amen. Verse 17. I says she followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. So this demon recognizes who Paul and his companions are and in essence gives a demonic testimony affirming that these guys are from God and their message truly is the way to be saved. And it goes on to say, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, one might wonder why Paul's so upset. You know, basically this 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 demon possessed girl is just acknowledging that, yeah, these guys are really from God and they really have a message that will lead to your salvation. So what's wrong with that? Well, it wasn't that the message she was conveying was false. It was absolutely true. But the source of that message was demonic in nature or in essence, a bad witness because it was coming from a place that was contrary to what God's word says is good. And Paul tells us about this principle in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16. He says, Don't team up with those that are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are a temple of the living God. Basically what Paul tells us there is you can't mix light and darkness. You can't mix the things of God and the things that aren't of God And the good news, it's compared to like a light in the darkness, right? It exposes the lies in this world, the evil in this world. And as such, you can confuse the message of it if it's coming from a source that is affiliated with evil, that is affiliated with darkness. Let me use an example, a practical example. So if I was to say, okay, we're going to have an outreach at a topless bar. We're going to go in there and we're going to preach the gospel to whoever will hear it. Now, is it, it obviously God wants, loves those people, anyone in there, and he wants them to hear the good news. But is that the best way to present it to them? It's not. Because number one, it would expose me and anyone else who goes in there to temptation, to sin. And then number two, it could run the risk of convoluting or complicating the message that a big part of it is repent of this harmful sin in your life and turn to God. And if I'm, in a sense, going and in, in, in exposing myself to that sin, then I'm, 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 in a sense, confusing that, what I'm saying, that you need to repent of this and turn to God because this is hurting you. And what he has for you are good things. 
But if I'm allowing myself to be exposed to it myself, then I'm compromising that message, acting like it's not that big deal. See what I'm saying? So that's kind of what he's talking about here. The better option would be find a way to share Jesus with them that doesn't expose you to that darkness, okay? And so Paul eventually he has enough. He commands a demon in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and the demon does, which, again, that's a good example for us to follow because sometimes in our lives there are things that happen that feel demonic, that feel like spiritual oppression. Remember, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. That's a very, as a Christian... That becomes a very real thing the longer you follow Jesus in that you realize this is not normal what's going on. I feel like everything is just coming against me. I'm hearing these lies in my head that aren't true. I know they're not true. And sometimes it's right before like you're going to do something for God, like almost a discouragement. And I had that all this morning. I woke up with all this discouragement for no apparent reason. Just these lies in my head like you're worthless. This is pointless to do what you're doing. You're not even where the Lord wants you. Just all these things. And they were all lies. And I recognize it for what it is. All right. And so when you face stuff like that. All right. And let me point out really quick that demons can't possess believers. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see how they can possible because of what Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 6. Lightness and, and, and darkness cannot dwell together. Okay. But. They can try to oppress you. They can sit there and whisper in your ear all the lies to try to get you to be tempted into sin, to believe those lies, okay? And so that's something we have to be very real of. That's why it's important to know the God's word because God's word exposes those lies. When you have truth, you hear those lies. That's not the Lord. That's not true. And the best thing you can do is rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. There's sometimes where I wake up in the middle of the night and I've just had the worst nightmare and it feels like demonic. And I just have to say, in the name of Jesus, you are not welcome in this home. You get out of here, Satan. My, my, one of my sons used to have night tears all the time and it seemed really demonic. Like he'd wake up in the middle of the night. I, I don't pretend to understand this completely, but it just felt like that because he'd wake up and you couldn't wake him up and he'd just be like crying uncontrollably and, and, and just like, I mean, like you could see the fear in his eyes, even though he wasn't awake. And I would just hold him and I'd pray over him. And I'd say, I rebuke you, enemy. You leave him alone. You get out of this house in Jesus's name. And as quick as I would do that, it would stop. And so all that to say is, don't try to take the enemy on yourself. He's defeated by Jesus. You stand firm in the promises of God and is him as your shield. Amen? Amen. And on a side note, Paul, in telling this girl to stop telling everyone who they are, he's just following Jesus' example. Because if you remember back in Mark 3, 11 and 12, there's demons that are doing the same thing, telling everyone who Jesus is. And he says, be quiet. All right? So it's always good to follow Jesus' example in ministry. Verse 19 says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, even though that statement's somewhat true in that they were Jews, and they were teaching something that basically was contrary to what the Romans believed, we really, we know that that wasn't the reason these people were angry, right? It says right there at the beginning of verse 19 why they were angry, because they lost their opportunity for money. You know, 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
Money isn't evil. Loving money is. And so you could see these guys didn't care about this girl at all. They just cared about their, their bottom dollar. And so that's why they're angry. And it would appear they single out Paul and Silas because they're Jewish. As Luke was a Gentile and Timothy was a half-Jew. So maybe there's some sort of prejudice in Philippi because there's not a lot of Jewish people there. And so they single them out. And it says in verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, that seems excessive, right? I mean, it's pretty hardcore punishment for somebody that's just kind of coming in and, and they're not doing anything illegal or wrong other than just kind of preaching something that people aren't wanting to receive and hear. But you have to understand that in Roman culture, you were either a non-citizen of Rome or a citizen of Rome. And if you were a non-citizen of Rome, you had no liberties. Basically, you you, you were under their, their form of government and you had rights if you were a citizen, but these guys, even though we know Paul at some point later on, or didn't he didn't call it out here, he bought his Roman citizen, citizenship. The fact that they were Jews, they probably assumed they weren't citizens. So basically that allowed these people to do whatever they wanted to them. And they treat them like the worst of criminals here. Beating them severely and throwing them into jail, like the inner jail where they put the worst people, fastening their feet in stocks so they'd be uncomfortable. And it says in verse 25, about midnight... I think that's key because whenever you're going through hard things, how many of you guys have trouble sleeping at night? Usually you're up thinking about those hard things, right? Well, listen, not these guys. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God or praising God, worshiping God. They're praying and worshiping as they're sitting there severely beaten in these stocks, you know, basically so they can't lay down, they can't get comfortable in this cold, you know, wet, dank, dank prison. And they're praying and they're worshiping God. And listen to this. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So here, Paul and Silas, just having been beaten and imprisoned for doing nothing wrong, put in this cold prison. I mean, everything imaginable that you know could imaginably be bad is happening to them. And instead of complaining or feeling sorry for themselves or questioning God, which they had the right. I mean, you're like, yeah, I can understand if they were doing that. They don't do none of that. They praise the Lord. And here lies... The last way we see in these, these two chapters where we've covered many different ways that God guides us into his will, here, here lies the last way that we see here. And that is when we praise him or give thanks to him continually. Okay? Write that down. A way God guides us is when we give thanks continually. I mean, it would seem very likely and understandable for that matter that they would have some doubts and discouragement in this situation. But if they did, they chose to give those cares to God in prayer. And instead of worrying 
or being discouraged, they praise God, whether they felt like it or not. And that led to them seeing the Lord do a miracle in setting them free, but also, as we're going to see next week, saving a bunch of people through that praise. Now, here's the point I want to end on today, because this is so critical, as I explained at the very beginning when I gave that application, because so many of us, we all of us, go through hard things so often in our lives. And the tendency, I'm going to have the worship team come up here as we're finishing this, but the tendency is, when we're going through those hard things, is to focus on the hard things. Focus on what we don't like, what we don't understand. Why is this happening to us? And as I shared in that example at the beginning, what that does is make it very difficult to see what God is doing because we're so focused on what he isn't doing. And we miss it. Even at the chance of like, in my example, where it's like, I'm missing completely what he's wanting me to do. And it's taken me months to get in line with it because my focus is everywhere but where it should be. And it's at those moments where even if you don't feel like praising God, you need to lead those feelings instead of being led by them to where your focus should properly be. And that is on God and his goodness. You know he's going to be good. Because of his promises. Like we have in Romans 8, 31, 32. That says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? I love that promise. It's general, like a lot of them, where it doesn't mean that you can just apply it to what you want. But knowing that he's God, knowing that. He's all-knowing, knowing that he only has perfect, good, and pleasing plans for you. You know, you can absolutely know that whatever he does in any situation, it's for you. So often I look at my life and I'm like, oh, look at what the Lord did to me. He's never done anything to me. He's only done stuff for me. We got to remind ourselves of that. The enemy would want you to believe he did this to you. He did that. No, no, no. What God would remind you, no, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. But you got to remind yourself of that. And as I so often point out, that's all we've ever seen in our lives, even when we didn't see it at the time. His past faithfulness demands your present trust. He's proven that he'll keep his word. He's proven that he's been faithful. So we remember his promises. We remember his past faithfulness. And that helps us get to that place of trusting in him no matter what's going on. Knowing that he's incapable of doing anything other than good because that's his very nature. And when you do that and your focus is on him and the things he has told you that he's going to do. Instead of the things you don't like, you'll be like Paul and Silas. Whereas you'll start seeing him work around you. He is doing this. I see this. And you'll be able to see where he's leading you. You'll be able to see his faithfulness. You'll be able to see the things, even if you don't completely understand him. Well, I know he's doing this. I I feel like he's telling me to do this. Or he's speaking to me through his word and he's reminding me of this. He's comforting me in this way. You start to just see. And the only reason you didn't see before is because your focus wasn't in the right place. And what gets us there is like being like them 
where instead of worrying about things, you cast those cares to him and you praise him. You praise him even before you, th- you see the breakthrough. You praise him even before you see the answered prayer. Because you know that you don't have to see it to know that it's going to be good. And instead of being led by those wrong feelings that are so easily manipulated by the enemy, you're leading those wrong feelings into the right place of trusting in God and his promises. Like I said at the beginning of today's message, I, was, I came in as a place discouraged. And I was fighting it like all morning. I was asking people to pray for me and thank you for guys that were because it was like a battle. I came out of the prayer room a little more motivated, but it was during our time of worship. It's always like this. And you see this in scripture where people have some great battle in front of them, something hard happening to them, and they, they praise God, they worship God. They're dwelling on his promises and their countenance changes. It's like from this place of despair to this place of hope. Or a sure expectation of good. And that's what worship does for us. And that's quite honestly why I have worship playing all the time around me. In my car, when I'm sleeping low next to my bed on my phone. When I'm in the shower. It's, it's playing all the time when I'm studying. Because I need it. I need to be reminded of all of God's goodness. Of all his promises. Of all the reasons I have to be thankful so that my focus stays in that right place. I'm able to see what he's doing. I'm able to be led by him into that good, pleasing, perfect will. Amen? I'm going to close here. We're going to do one last song. But let me read a psalm David wrote at a low place in his life, where even though he didn't understand everything that was going on, he reminded himself that I have so many reasons to praise God, and I'm going to praise him because of that. This is Psalm 34 Verses 1 through 22, this is the whole psalm. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you as godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, but his ears are open, his ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. 
Calamity will surely destroy the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. That's promises. That's promises for us. Amen. And I like those because he didn't know what was going to happen. He was being unjustly persecuted. And people were trying to kill him for no reason. And he didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew these promises from God's word. And that's what he clung to. He didn't praise God for being in a hard situation. He praised God that he would see him through it. And that's what we need to do. So I'm going to encourage you guys. I mean, surely you have reason to praise, but maybe some of you came here having a hard time praising God, not feeling like naturally just praising him because you were in a place of discouragement. You're going through something hard. You're finding it hard to put into words like in a way to be thankful. Don't be thankful for the hard thing. We know that that's because we live in a fallen world, but be thankful for the God that has promised to save you from it, that has given you victory in it, that one day will show you the good he was doing through it. Amen? And that will lead you into that right place of having your focus on him and his promises. And he'll be able to, you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see what he's doing. He'll lead you into that good, pleasing, perfect will. Amen? And if you want somebody to pray with you, because you just can't, you're having trouble doing it, you can't put it into words, we'll have our prayer team up and we'll lead you in a prayer. We'll remind you of God's goodness and, and bear that burden with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promises. Lord, we have so many reasons to thank you. Even in the midst of the valley, we know we're just going through it. You're going to see us to the other side. And you're going to be good. Not everything in this world is good, but you're good. And you've promised to work all things for our good. So that's what we want to keep our focus on, Lord. And we know that our feelings are deceitful. They're susceptible to the enemy's lies. So we need to lead them into that place of right thinking that's in line with your word. So help us do that in this time, Lord. I pray especially for my brothers and sisters that are dealing with very real hard things right now. Where it's hard for them to be thankful. May you just give them a supernatural touch of grace right now. Maybe bring to remembrance that specific thing in the past where you came through in such a big way. You showed your goodness so they could cling to that knowing you'll do it again. Maybe even as we sing this last song, these words would just bless them and, 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 and it help them believe these truths that we've seen you do over and over again in our lives and we know you'll continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.